We'll uh, continue our study through the book of 1 Timothy. Tonight, we'll start chapter 6. It's good to see Ray and Laura back from vacation. Although I'm sure it's hard to be back from vacation. But let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time tonight in His Word. Father, once again, we just want to thank you for your presence among us, Lord, during, during our time of worship. Father, we just do sense that you are, you are in the midst of your people when we praise you, and there's a unity of purpose and heart, God, when we come to worship you. draws our hearts toward you and draws our hearts toward one another, God. And we just thank you for that work of grace. And Lord, we would ask now that you would speak to us out of your word as we continue to study, Lord, here in this book of 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just give us ears to hear and speak to our hearts, God, the living word from, from your heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Do what you can with this. It's a little boomy, but okay. Well, we finished up. Uh, last week in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, during the, through the chapter there, talking about how to honor, honoring widows, and, and he went on to talk about how to honor and handle leadership in the church, elders, and how to correct and protect and honor elders. And We'll start now in chapter 6 and the first couple of verses here. And the topic tonight... We'll, we'll move through a couple topics, but this first section, we'll just call this honor on the job. Paul's been talking about different types of honoring, honoring widows, honoring elders, honoring leadership. Now he would speak to us about honoring our ma masters. Of course, when Paul wrote this, slavery was a common practice in the Roman Empire. Today, we don't have that practice, and we don't believe that that's something God wants in practice, but the principles here are still the same. In fact, I would say if these principles were true, if Paul could say this to those that were slaves under masters, then how much more this principle would apply to us today as employees under employers, because we're free people as employees, and yet this idea of honoring those that the Lord has put over us, even out in secular world, uh, how important it is for us spiritually to, to understand this principle here that, that Paul speaks on here to Timothy. Let's look at this uh, first couple verses, and then we'll come back and, and look at what he's saying. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. As we consider working or anything that we might find ourselves doing professionally or in a situation, um, maybe even in a, in a difficult situation, maybe in, in a work setting that isn't even ideal or something that you may not even aspire to, to be your long-term you know, career, there's still this idea of, of honoring those that the Lord would place over you. And I really believe that as we honor 
that, that truly is really honoring the Lord, that it's unto God that we would honor others. And uh, that principle is taught in other places in the Scripture, but just this idea of working hard for the Lord, you know, in Genesis 2, in verse 15, it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So right from the beginning, right at the at creation, God had work in mind for man. Man was not to be just, you know, kicking back in the garden and just, you know, taking it easy and getting a tan and enjoying, you know, picking the fruit. He was to, the idea is that God gave him a sense of responsibility there. He was to tend it, to keep it. He employed him in a sense that you know, God really does, uh, I believe, want us to be diligent about our work and those things that he has set before us to do. And it's a principle that's taught throughout scriptures, being diligent, being hardworking, being faithful with those things that he would entrust to us. And it's, this is a hard thing because sometimes we really, we really don't, we can't, we don't equate what we do for an employer as something that we're doing from the, for the Lord. But in Colossians 3.23, Paul said this, everything that goes on in your life is, is orchestrated by the Lord. Nothing is by coincidence. Nothing is by chance. God is now working all things together for good in your life. And he's directing your life. And you have to trust that he's, even in the, the things that we don't understand, God is still at work. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't look for a different job or you might not you know, be suited for the job that you're in. And there's nothing wrong with us pursuing career goals and continuing to grow professionally. But wherever you are in that process, you need to be diligent. You need to be faithful. Do it heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. And that can, you know, if you have a boss that's uh, an employer who's really good to work for, that, that might not be too hard. But if you have an employer who might be for you, Mr. Employer, although I honor you as my employer, but I do this in honor to the Lord. I have a higher uh, master. I have a higher employer that I want to keep in my heart as I work and do my work heartily. Let's say specifically to honor your masters. Honor, and we'll say tonight, honor your employers. They are, they are worthy of all honor. And he gives a, he, he talks about both the non-Christian employer and the Christian employee. And to the non-Christian, we have a responsibility to be an example on the job. And I think that's something that Paul is encouraging here. Jesus said that you are to be, you and I are to be like a city set on a hill. Something that is visible. Something that is noticeable. You don't take a, a, a candle or a lamp and then put it under a bushel. You set it up in a high place and you let the light shine. And the analogy, of course, is our spiritual lives are supposed to shine in a dark world. And most of you and most of us... Uh, Probably the greatest opportunity that we have for our light to shine is in the workplace. That quite often is where we find ourselves amongst non-Christian, uh, amongst the dark world, the generation that we live in. You know, sometimes it's maybe school. Sometimes it may be you know, the, the parent friends that you meet on the soccer field. There's all kinds of places that we live our lives. But the idea is that we would live it in such a way that God could be honored through us, that our light would shine, that people would see us as an example of the faith that we proclaim, a witness to the non-Christian. And Paul lays a pretty heavy charge here 
in the, the last part of verse 1 there, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. You have a responsibility. In fact, you have a very heavy responsibility when you call yourself Christian, Christ-like. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm, that word means, translates, I'm Christ-like. If you see me, if you watch my life, you're going to see that I embrace and live the teachings of Christ. I model my life after Christ. He is my example. If you want to see something of Jesus, you should be able to look at my life and see something of His glory reflecting through me. Not the fullness of Christ, but something of Christ should be coming through my life. And so Paul says, listen, when you're out there serving in the workplace or serving your employer, don't do it in a way that God would be blasphemed, spoken ill of. Don't, oh, if, you're, if that's what Jesus is about, if you're an example of what Jesus and what Christians are all about by the job you're doing and the, the way you've performed in the workplace, I, you know, I have no respect for your faith and I really would never want to be a Christian. That's blaspheming the Lord. That's speaking ill of God and His Son because of the bad example that a so-called Christian has lived. And Paul, even uh, in Romans, he, he rebukes the, the Jewish people of that very thing when he said, you know, you make your boast in the law, but you dishonor God through breaking the law. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul accused some of the Jewish uh, some of his Jewish countrymen who were so proud to be Jews, and, oh, we, we make our boast in the law. We know the law. We, we know that we have the Ten Commandments, and yet you break the law in your lifestyle. And the Gentiles, those that aren't even Jewish, are speaking badly of God because of your bad example. And the same principle holds true for us today as Christians. And it is a sad commentary, unfortunately, that oftentimes some of the Employees that may call, and I've been an employer, and I've been an employee, and I've had experience with, with both Christian, non-Christian employers, employees, and so forth. And it's it's always a little disappointing when you know the Christian turns out to be the worst one of the bunch. You know, you hired three or four employees, and the Christian was the dud. <laughs> you know, and and yet they were so bold to tell tell you they were a Christian in the interview, and then yet. They didn't really, you know, people that were non-Christian never boasted to be a Christian, yet they're hard, they work harder, and they're on time, and they're diligent, and they're, they, they, they represent some of the same characteristics that Paul would expect to be in the life of the Christian, and that's sad. But it's not always the case, praise the Lord, there's also times when Christians really do shine, and they really do have a good work ethic, and, and I really think that's the goal. And I'll tell you, it's not easy, and I've, I've wrestled with this my whole professional life lord oh you know things would just oh i don't want to you know buckle under that authority i don't i used to work for my dad so it made it even tougher you know oh god this is and i wrestled with that for years and and it was just always a chore always a task lord help me to submit and honor this authority that you have placed even though he doesn't know what he's doing and i'm right <laughs> Right? That's what happens. We, we, we do it, but Paul warns against that too. Not just with lip service, but from the heart. We've got to yield unto God. Trust the Lord. He'll work it out. This is, you know, He's in authority. If this is the way He wants this job done, I'll do that to the best of my ability. And Christians ought to make it their goal 
to be the best. Not for some pride or advancement, but for the sake of Christ. I'm a Christian, and I want to be the best employee here. I want you to notice something about my work ethic. I want you to notice something about my commitment. I want you to no- notice something about my character, you know, about my, uh, just, you know, my, my ethics and my, the way I conduct myself on the job. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. So that, that non-Christians would not think badly of God or his doctrine because of the way that we manage ourselves. He also speaks to those in the, in, the, in the event that you may have a Christian believer. Those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. What's that mean, despise? Well, don't, don't look down on them just because they're your brothers in the Lord. Don't, don't, say, don't think to yourself, oh, he's a Christian. Cool, I can take it easy on this job because we're brothers in the Lord. We're friends, we're buddies. You know, one of the first things I learned when I had to manage people I had to learn how to kind of draw this invisible line, you know. And people told me this, you know, when I was younger, and I just I never, I kind of ignored it. But I learned the hard way, you know. Sometimes when you when you manage people, you can't always be their buddy. You can't always relate to them at that, you know, friend buddy level when you have to manage someone. Because then when you have to ask them to do something, you know, the the buddy part kicks in. Ah, yeah, sure, I know what you mean. I'll get that tomorrow. No, I want you to do that now. Friends don't. You know, with friend, friendship, you have that flexibility, but an employer-employee situation, you don't. There needs to be you know, someone leading and someone following direction. And I think that Paul is getting at that here, too. Just If you have a Christian boss or a Christian employer, don't, don't take advantage of that. Don't presume on that. Don't despise them. Don't look down on their position just because... Your brothers in the Lord. You may even be in a situation where you are uh, more mature as a Christian. You know, there's a, there's a you know, someone that's young in the Lord, but they happen to be over you in the workplace, and the tendency might be to, well, you know, hey, I, I'm I'm older in the Lord, and we go to the same church, and he looks up to me spiritually, and so you know, I don't have to really look to him as my superior now in the workplace. That would be despising him. That would be not giving him that place that God has given him in the workplace. So Paul says, don't take advantage of that. Don't presume on that. Rather, serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. All the more that we want to do a good job because now not only is my my work effort um, being... Now it's more than just being a witness for the Lord... I'm also blessing the Lord in that I am blessing the body of Christ. I'm blessing a fellow believer. And my good work, not only does it honor God, but it blesses someone who is my brother or sister in the Lord. So all the more, if you have a Christian uh, employer that you would want to do, and now that doesn't mean you only work hard for the Christian employers. It just means that, that your heart should rejoice even more. Oh, this is a double blessing. I get to work hard for the Lord, and I get to bless a brother or sister in the Lord by, by helping them in their place of employment as well. All right, honoring those on the job that God would place over you. I want to look now at verse, we'll start here in verse 3, and Paul kind of shifts subjects here, and we will as well. In this next passage, we'll look, we'll look through ver, at verses 3 through 10, or at least start there tonight and see how far we get. 
And Paul begins to now talk about false teachers and false brethren within the body of Christ. And I've titled this next passage, The Telltale Signs of False Teachers. Paul begins to give an itemized list of the kinds of things to look out for concerning false teachers or brethren that would cause trouble in the church. You know, um, Dr. Ray can tell you that when you're, when you're diagnosing someone that's not, not even know what it is, but there's something not right. Let's say you have a fever. That's a sign, right? That's a sign that something is wrong in the body. It could just be a virus, but if it persists, it could be an infection. It could be something more serious. It's a sign. It's a signal that something is not right. And they run tests and do a number of things looking to find out tell signs, what to look for in those that would be false teachers, those that would be uh, those whose hearts would not be properly uh, submitted to the Lord, their motives are not pure. There are things that you can see. There's, th- there's patterns that kind of present themselves. As we have radio waves and, and TV, you know, we have a way to communicate false doctrine a lot better than we used to, right? Both good and false doctrine now have a way to impact a lot more people. You can turn on your television when you go home tonight and you, 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 could, you could tune into somebody really wonderful and teaching solid doctrine. You could flip a couple more channels and you could hear somebody teaching complete false doctrine. Both of them claiming to be Christians and both of them wanting to minister to the Christian church. So it's important to understand one of the things that we need to know that we might properly discern that which is good and that which is not good because clearly there are things out there that are not good for us. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Paul gives us a list here of the types of things that these false teachers will show as symptoms. The first thing he mentions there at the beginning of verse 3, they, might, they would teach otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words. Teaching otherwise and does not consent. They don't teach the right doctrine, nor do they consent to the right doctrine. Not only do they teach something that's not right, but they don't consent. They will not allow you to teach them what's right either. You can go both ways. Some people may not be teachers, but they can't be taught either. They have their own ideas. They have their own concepts. They have their own opinions of what you know, God is saying to them. And they will not consent to wholesome words. They won't consent to sound biblical teaching. Paul saying this is a this is a symptom of those that would be false teachers. Wholesome words. He talks about wholesome words. That's sound. That word wholesome, of course, means sound, beneficial. What are sound and beneficial words? Well, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, and I'll quote it to you, chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What are wholesome words? Well, 
The most wholesome words that we can find is the Scripture. Paul says the Scripture is what's profitable for doctrine, for for reproof. It's what can make a man complete and equipped for every good work. If a man or woman will not submit to the the Bible as the the final authority for for doctrine and practice, then they're they're, they're not willing to consent to wholesome words. They, you know, we have a lot today in the in the so-called kind of you know, emergent church, or there's there's a whole there's different ideas going around. But you know, one of the things that's happening is that the authenticity or the inspiration, the authority of Scripture is beginning to be questioned. Well, you know, we use the Bible, but you know, I mean, we interpret it culturally today, and we kind of apply it within our community and. You know, it kind of becomes our own truth, and we can kind of manage it to make more meaningful truth for us. And instead of looking at the Bible objectively, it becomes somewhat subjective. We, we interpret it according to what suits our particular beliefs or our particular culture. And that's, that's a path down the wrong road, and that, that's what's going on today. So anybody that teaches or does not consent to wholesome words, that's a red flag for you. They're not teaching the Bible, or if they're not completely willing to give uh, authority to the Bible, complete authority to the Bible, then you have to ask yourself, well, what is their ultimate authority? Who is um, going to lay down the doctrine? They're going to make it up themselves. They're going to do that which suits themselves. He also talks about the words of Christ. Wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that means not only the teaching of Christ, and we have the Gospels and the teachings of Christ, but also all Orthodox teaching concerning Christ. And these are things that are being challenged today, in, even in liberal theology. Christian campuses having liberal ideas and discussions about the deity of Christ, about the virgin birth. Was he really born a virgin? Did he really lead a sinless life? I mean, did he, was his death really substitutionary for us? I mean, did he really resurrect bodily and ascend bodily? I mean, that's kind of hard for us to imagine, the body coming out of the grave. Maybe, maybe the apostles didn't really see the body, but they believe that his spirit lives on. And they have all kinds of different ideas about what the scriptures claim, clearly teach about Christ. When those things start getting questions and those things start becoming um, up for debate, that's a, that's a red flag for you and I, that these are teachers that are, not, that are teaching otherwise and not consenting to the, to the words of Christ. They, do not, they, are, they also don't like doctrine that conforms to godliness. Doctrine which accords with godliness or conforms to godliness. This, of course, has to do with lifestyle. Paul said to the Galatians, chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These are, the, these are the fruits of godliness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God will be producing in our lives. Anybody whose doctrine does not... Does not teach those things or it does not bear those fruits, you have to, it's, a, it's a red flag. We were coming up um, to the, you know, we have our little coffee shop outreach where the boys play the music over there on 
um, Monrovia Coffee Company, and my wife and I were driving up, and we had some of the some of the guys that were going to be playing in our car with us, and just kind of talking on the on the way to the to the fellowship. And we had a, uh, this young brother, dear brother and friend of ours. He was just talking about a friend he had recently met, and you know, oh, this guy, man, I met this guy. He is so awesome. He knows the word so incredible. I just aspire to be like this guy. He's just so spiritual. He just, oh, man, he's just got, you know, he quotes these scriptures, you know, and you start talking to him, and he's got a scripture and verse for you, and I was so impressed with him. Man, I just made me go home and want to study my Bible more, and, you know, this and that, and it all sounded pretty good. Like, wow, I'd like to meet this guy. Sounds like a wonderful brother. He's challenging you, you know, and I'm just listening. And he keeps going and keeps going. But yeah, yeah, and he's just, you know what? He's really kind of, he's in your face too, man. If you don't if you don't like what he's saying, man, he'll just get on you and this and that. I said, well, that's, you know, I'm just listening. Okay, I want to hear a little more about this, this wonderful brother. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was on an airplane and some guy, he overheard a guy, you know, a row, a couple rows away and using a curse word. And he said, you know, hey, if you're going to be bold using curse words, then I'm going to be bold proclaiming Jesus Christ. And he got up and kind of just put this guy in his place. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that doesn't sound like the fruit of this. That, doesn't, that gentleness seems to be, you know, that, that kind of in-your-face uh, witnessing doesn't always go over that well and doesn't always present Christ. And I just kind of had a little check in my heart. And I didn't say anything. I never met this, this still never met this guy. And I never, you know, I, I didn't want to judge him. I just thought, well... Something just, you know, just that one of those little red flags. Ah, this guy doesn't sound all that great, you know. And I didn't want to say that, but I just kind of didn't think much about it. Well, I don't know, a week or so later, my daughter um, was telling me about an experience with this, this same wonderful brother. And she said, yeah, um, she wasn't there, but, uh, but uh, someone that she's dating was, was there. And they were doing this concert, playing some Christian music at a coffee shop just kind of like what we do over here in, in Monrovia. And they were playing this Christian music, and, and this, this brother was there. And there were some people sitting outside, you know, on the patio, and he didn't think that they were giving proper attention to the Christian music that was being play, played. So he went out and he rebuked them, you know, and just said, hey, there's this Christian music going on in here. You need to be listening to this Christian music. And, you know, what do you, and, and these people are just like, we're here to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, we didn't even know the music was Christian. And, uh, and so someone else that was with the group, he came out and tried to like, you know, hey, 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 don't, we're sorry, I'm sorry. That's not why we're here. We're, I'm sorry if this offended you. We're not here to, you know, we're just here to enjoy the music, listen to the words. We pray that, you know, we're trusting that God will minister to you. And when this, this other kid heard him kind of putting these people at ease, he made a scene. He threw a fit. Who are you to crime gay? And he just made this big scene and it caused this whole ruckus at this coffee shop. So that's a red flag. <laughs> that's, that's not conforming to godliness. That's not bearing the right kind of fruit of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times when we do need to be bold. That doesn't mean that there aren't times when we do need to be passionate with our witness. But the Spirit of God just doesn't operate that way. And, the, and it, it just it doesn't come out that way. And Paul is saying that when you, when you have individuals whose doctrine or practice don't conform to these godly things, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in the heart. And you need to take note of it and you need... 
he's going to ultimately say you need to withdraw from those that will not consent to being corrected and will simply won't yield to the right sort of way that God has fashioned for us in his word. So, I mean, that's just an example. Jesus said that we can, we'll be able to tell even false prophets according to their fruit. He said in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, that's how they come, folks. They don't come with wolf's outfits on. They come in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. That's important. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So Jesus puts a lot of emphasis on not what men say they are, but what men truly are by the way that they live their lives and by the doctrine that they would teach and the fruit that they they produce in other people's lives. Paul warns those that teach otherwise or do not consent to these things. Verse 4, he gives us something else that is a telltale sign. He is proud. Oftentimes, pride is the root. Pride is that, that, that desire in, the man, in a man's heart to be important, that desire. Even, even in, in spiritual things, pride can be there. I want to I be you know, super Christian. I want people to look to me. I want people to think I'm important within the church. And pride comes in. Pride is, a, is something that God resists. The Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. A couple of passages just on pride. Colossians 2.18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Now, some people have false humility. And the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. And here's his problem. He's vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Puffed up. There's, nothing, there's no substance there but he's puffed up by his fleshly mind. Paul says, Paul warns against those. He says in Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't, don't think too highly of yourself. Think soberly. Think with good judgment. Recognize that God has dealt to each a measure of faith. You're, you're nothing special in the body of Christ. You're special, but you're no more special than everyone else in the body. You're not, you're, your position is not more important. Your position is of equal value in the kingdom of God. God, God is no respecter of persons. He does not favorites. He loves us all equally, and He has imparted something to each of us, a grace that is to function, and they, all those graces are of equal value. One, the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. No, we, we, we need one another, and God has placed grace within each of us. Pride. And pride, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can't see it right away, but sometimes, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can see pride, and you, or you hear it, and you notice it. That's a telltale sign. If that's, that's what's in the heart, chances are this, this person may not be sincere in their walk with the Lord.
Paul goes on to say, verse 4 there, back in 1 Timothy, that, that he knows nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. The third thing that I would say here to look for is they're argumentative. That's what I see in these verses here. He's obsessed with disputes, arguments over words. You know, kind of like this young man I described. You know, he may be a real extreme example, but wherever he goes, there's, you know, there's, he's, he's picking a fight. There's a dispute. There's something going on. And he, you know, I've been around Christians that way, even you know, believers. And I think they are believers, but they get into this um, wanting to debate doctrine with you. You know, what's your position on the end times? Well, Jesus is returning. That's my position. Well, well you know, what about the rapture? What's it going to happen? Is you pre-trib, mid-trib, or you all millennial? You, you know, whoa, you know, whoa, Sparky. <laughs> you know, if you want to talk about it, we'll talk. You want to debate? You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking for a fight. Sometimes it's just this argumentative wrangling about words, you know, and disputes, and it just always causing friction around them. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't discuss our spiritual ideas. That we shouldn't. And at times, you know, debate them in a loving way. But that disputing and arguing, and, and this is what happens. Some people, are so, they're so committed to their view that if you don't embrace their view, you're, you know, you're not the right kind of Christian. And some, some, some scriptural principles clearly are just, they've been, been, they've been debated for the last 2,000 years. There are things that, within the scriptures that we simply... You know, until Jesus returns and kind of settles the issue, we won't, you know, there's people, there's smart people on both sides of some issues and committed biblical, biblical scholars on both sides of some issues. We've got to learn to be gracious with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We may not all agree. We're not going to all agree. But we can agree on so much that draws us together. That's where we need to fellowship. Now, some things, are they divide us. You know, if, for example, I said, if, if, if someone has, has decided that they no longer believe in the deity of Christ, I'm sorry, that's, that is a, that's, you know, that's a non-negotiable for us. That's one of those pillars of our faith. We, you take that away, and what do you have? I mean, if Jesus isn't God, then what have you got? You've got this crazy uh, carpenter who went out claiming himself to be somebody who clearly he was confused or crazy or lying or deceptive he if he's because he's the one that said you know before abraham was i am he's the one that claimed that for himself either we believe that and embrace it or you know where 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 is our faith so there are some things that are non-negotiable but there are other things that we you know we can discuss them but we don't want to get into this argumentative uh, divisive wranglings of men of corrupt minds Timothy, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 24 that a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but listen to this, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. There's a humility. There's a gentleness. That's the, that's the, the way the Spirit of God would work, even even if there's a disagreement, even if there's something that needs correcting. Turn with me to uh, James chapter 3. 
James chapter 3. To your right, past Hebrews, James chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses, favorite passages. Because it really outlines the wisdom that comes from above. James 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among, among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Look at the wisdom from above, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You want to know where the wisdom is coming from, whether it be in your own heart or whether it be what you see in the lives of others. Here's, here's the litmus test. Paul, uh, James gives us the wisdom that comes from the flesh, the carnal wisdom, the wisdom of the world, and the wisdom that comes from above. There's some qualities there that, that you'll find in both. And I think that's something that Paul is endeavoring to communicate back in 1 Timothy. You can turn back there with me now. We're just about finished with our... what We'll, we'll just... We won't go on past this uh, verse 5 here tonight. But I think that's what Paul is saying. When you see people that are disputes, arguments, strife, evil suspicions. These are, these are people that, that are bound up in pride in their own minds, their own ideas, argumentative. Another th- and, and finally here, and I'll close here with this one, the, the last thing that Paul identifies that, that is often at the heart of a false teacher or a troublesome uh, individual, verse, the latter part of verse 5, They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There is a greed there. Quite often, false teachers will ultimately land on the money. It eventually gets to the money. Because in their mind, they they think that godliness or this, this serving the Lord is a means of great gain. God wants me to be rich. God wants me to prosper. God wants you to prosper too. And all you have to do Send me your check. <laughs> they don't say it quite that boldly, but, I'm t- but if you listen, it, it, they get to it. They get to it. And so Paul's identifying that here. This, that's, that's a red flag. Now, does the Bible talk about money? Yes. Does the Bible talk about res- being responsible with our resources? Yes. Does the Bible teach the principle that if we are generous, He too will be generous? Yes, it does. But I'm telling you, Men have taken those good principles and manipulated them and twisted them in, an, in such a way so as to benefit themselves. And they are using this so-called doctrine to fleece God's people, not feed them. And that's a red flag, a telltale sign. If it always comes down to the money and you giving them money to somehow ensure your 
future financial success and blessing. Something wrong with that. Something wrong with that. It should, it should be a warning sign to you. And Paul gives you the instruction from such, withdraw yourself. Don't put yourself in fellowship with that kind of an individual. Don't put yourself under that kind of a ministry. I am amazed at how many gullible Christians are just fueling some of these ministries that do nothing but, you know, appeal for your money and tell different stories and ways and, and methods of why you should be giving them your money. And people, you know, and they're, they're on the air and they're living well and they're doing well. Jesus Christ, this is not, this, this is not what God would teach. This is not the, the, the message of His Scripture. Jesus was born in a manger. The King of kings and Lord of lords. What kind of example did he set? Did he come to a palace? Did he come riding in on a chariot? He was born in a stable. When he came into Jerusalem, he came on the back of a donkey. Humble. Grew up a, just a humble carpenter. I think that God is saying something else to us entirely. That this world and its goods do not do not value the kingdom of God and what's going on in the heart of a man. Jesus came as King of kings, Lord of lords, not in with the world's goods, but with God's goods. So the Scriptures would clearly not present this uh, money laundering scheme that some ministries are so, so, so good at. And I would say to you and to myself, hey, withdraw. From such, withdraw yourself. Don't get caught up in that type of, a th of thinking, in that type of doctrine, in that type of teaching. We'll close here tonight. We'll look, Paul, from there, off of that, that last warning that he gives you concerning these people looking for gain, he will go on and elaborate some about um, those that would be greedy for money. He'll, he'll give both encouragement as to what true gain is and he'll also give warning about the love of money and some of the evils that it produces as well. But we'll close there tonight, and uh, I'll close this in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the clear teaching of your word, the practicalness of it, Lord, just the, just the common sense of it, Lord, to be honest. God, you're not weird. And, and, and your children aren't supposed to be weird. We're supposed to make sense uh, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we conduct ourselves in the workplace, in the way that we would teach and, and uh, proclaim your gospel. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, help us, give us grace to be that which you've called us to be, lights in a dark world, whether that be in the workplace or in the the grocery store or on the soccer field or amongst friends and family and relatives that are unsaved. Lord, help us to be lights like a city set on a hill, Lord. Salt to the earth. And Lord, we also pray that you would protect us and give us, give us spiritual discernment concerning the things that, um, that are being purported today in our generation as as Christian teaching and doctrine, Lord. Clearly, Jesus, you warned us, some would come in sheep's clothing. 
but they would not be of you. But we should examine their fruit. Paul has given us a number of signs to look for, Lord, their doctrine, their teaching, the fruit of their life, whether it's motivated by pride or greed, Lord. Help us to be discerning in, in these times, God, that we would be, we want to we be plugged into the real church. We want to be a part of, of your church, Lord, globally, that is doing the work of your kingdom. We don't want to get sidetracked. We don't want to get all distracted by some new thing that comes blowing into the church, Lord. And there's, there's new things blowing in even today as we speak tonight, Lord. There's, there's new ideas about how to do church and some of the new uh, clever ways that men have uh, devised to, to try and help, help the kingdom of God along. Lord, help us to be faithful to the, to the fundamentals of our faith. Your word, prayer, fellowship, communion with one another, communion with you, Lord, and worship. And, Lord, just some of those fundamentals. There's so much, Lord, for us to study and learn, so many good things. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted with all the frivolous things that, that seem to, to tickle the ears of so many. We want to be um, on solid footing, Lord. We want, to be, we want our faith to be sure. We want our lives to be fruitful for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your study here tonight. We pray that you would continue to be with us this week and bless us as we go. I pray in Jesus' name.